0: And the, uh, the title of our series, our short series, is very simply, it's not about the fish. Now, of course, when you think about Jonah, what do we also think about? The whale, the fish, right? Scripture, it says the great fish. We don't know that it was a whale. We make that assumption. But it's always kind of considered Jonah and the whale, right? And of course, the whale plays a part, and he is a character, in this true story, but the story is not about the whale. In fact, I think what we'll see over the next few weeks is the story really isn't even about Jonah. You know, sometimes familiar stories can do that to us. They become so familiar that we kind of gloss over and forget about and miss some of the wonderful details that God has for us to glean from his amazing stories. And so we're going to look at the life of Jonah. Just a picture, a snapshot of a part of his life as a prophet of God. And you know, um, I had read this story and wanted to share it with you. It's a pretty amazing story. That back back in the year 1891, February 1891, There was a whaling ship called the Star of the East, and it was sailing around the Falkland Islands, and those are a group of islands off the coast of Argentina. And at that time, the crew spotted a sperm whale, and they lowered their boats to go give chase. As they approached, the whale turned the boats over in his attack on the boats. And so the boats capsized, Scattering the crew in the water. Now all of the sailors, all the crew, were accounted for except for one young whaleman by the name of James Bartley. And of course, everyone assumed that James Bartley had drowned. So the next day, the crew, out on different boats, they saw that same whale. And they began to give chase, and this time they actually did chase and catch up to that whale they killed the whale and they dragged it back onto the ship and once that ship got back into port as they loaded the whale onto the dock somebody noticed something peculiar something was moving underneath the lining of the whale's stomach so they cut open the whale's stomach and out rolled james bartley He was unconscious, but still breathing from the day before. His face and his arms were bleached entirely white by the acids of the whale's stomach. After waking a few days later, he said he remembered nothing except the sensation of sliding through the whale's throat and that it quivered when he touched it on its way down. How's that for a story? Isn't that amazing? Man, so I'm reading that. I'm thinking, what a great story to tell. So as I do some more research, you know what I found out? It's not true. (laughs) Now here's the interesting part. I saw a lot of sermons online where the pastors used this story saying, look, it's true. Now it doesn't mean that it's not true, that it couldn't happen. But it turns out, some people did a bunch of research and went back, found out it actually was just one of those tall fishermen's tails. It probably started with them catching a fish about this big, and all of a sudden it turned into a whale ate James Bartley. But here's the thing, it's okay that it's not true, because the story that we're about to embark on is true, and I hope you believe that. It is true. You're going to see that it talks about real times and places in history, people that we know existed. There's no reason not to believe that it's true. When you take all of Scripture together, see the amazing things that God can do, can believe that this story is true. It had a plan, it had a purpose for its original readers, and it has much to speak to us to today. And it's also okay that that story wasn't true, because again, the whole book of Jonah, his story is not about the fish. So what is it about? Well, we'll get to that. Let me give you a little bit of background, and then I'm going to read the passage, just Jonah chapter 1, 17 verses, and then we'll go through section by section, and we're going to see, it's pretty amazing, this story that I think we're all pretty familiar with has so much depth to it and so much to teach us. Although it was written as a judgment on the people of Israel, like all of other God's prophets, bringing judgment and bringing uh, condemnation, but bringing warning and then also encouragement of God's grace to His people, it also has much to speak to today for us. So, Jonah, as we'll read in just a minute, was called as a prophet of God, said the word of God came to him, and he was called to go to a big city called Nineveh. Right? Nineveh was the largest city of the Assyrian Empire. It wasn't yet the capital, but it was the largest and, and biggest and grandest city. Nineveh was in what we know today as modern day Iraq. Okay? That's where it was. You've probably heard of that city called Mosul, You've probably heard it on the news. It was actually right across from it, right adjacent to it. That's where Nineveh was. It was well known throughout the ancient Near East for being the home, of course, of the Assyrians who were brutal in their atrocities that they inflicted on their war captives. They worshipped many gods. They were idolatrous. They were the worst offenders. Actually, you can put in your notes that you should go back and read the book of Nahum. Another minor prophet. Not minor because he's not important, but minor because it's a, you know, not as much written. A shorter book. Read the book of Nahum, because Nahum excuse me, gives a very detailed account about the people of Nineveh and how feared they were for their atrocities. It won't even go into all that they did to the people that, um, that they enslaved and took captive. But they were known. And so Nahum gives an account of Nineveh and God's judgment on them. But Jonah, the prophet that we're talking about now, he lived about 700 years before Christ in the 700s B.C. He was a contemporary of the prophets Amos and Hosea. So if you were to read those, if you looked at sort of a background of those prophets in those books, you would see that all three of them were, um, were prophets of God at the same time. Now Jonah... Was a prophet to the northern kingdom. You need to remember something about the history of Israel. At this time, the nation of Israel was divided. It was a divided kingdom. <clears throat> After King Solomon, the kingdom was divided into north, ten tribes, we call it Israel, and to the south, two tribes, it was known as Judah. And so, the northern tribes. They were threatened by the Assyrians and eventually taken captive and conquered by the Assyrians. And that was part of what Jonah was preaching to them, that they needed the people of Nineveh to repent. And we'll see why he didn't really like that God was calling him to do that. So then the southern kingdom of Judah, they were the ones that were threatened by Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Remember those names? So you had the north and the south. So we're talking about the northern kingdom, and that is where Jonah was a prophet. He was from that kingdom, and he was um, called by God, given God's word, to tell the people of Nineveh about God's judgment. It's interesting. He's a very unique prophet. This is a very unique book. Unlike all of the other books about the prophets, which talks um, extensively about The words that the prophets bring to the nation of Israel. This is more about the actions of Jonah. Not so much his words, but not to the nation of Israel. It's about him being called by God to go to a Gentile nation. Ninevites. And there's a lot in there for us as well. Now, context is important. We know that um, this book actually was written for the people of Israel, but it recounts how God called Jonah to go to the Gentile nation of the Assyrians and to their big city of Nineveh. So it was a lesson for Israel. And here was the main lesson. We want to keep it in context of the book and the whole Bible, right? That Jonah, in essence, is about how the people of Israel, God's chosen people, had forgotten that they were a missionary nation that they were called to be a blessing to the other nations. Remember that when God called Abram, he made him said you'd be the father of many nations and all the world would be blessed through you. Gentile nations were to be blessed through God's chosen people. See, but God's people, Israelites had kept all of God's blessings to themselves. They had forgotten their missionary call. Israel had become complacent. With all of their wealth and growth and prosperity at that time. See, Jonah was a prophet under the king Jeroboam the Second. Okay? Why is that important? Very simply this. Because under Jeroboam the second, the northern kingdom thrived economically, politically, socially. He restored Israel's boundaries to what it used to be. Because there was a time when the Assyrians were a little weak, and so he took that opportunity being a shrewd and smart king, and he reestablished their greater boundaries. So, so that the northern kingdom was doing so well, they forgot their calling to share their blessings with others. Don't we often do that? God is so gracious and merciful to us, but do we often then go and share that with others, or do we just kind of say, "Thank you, God," and keep it to ourselves? More on that later. So there's much for us to learn from this book of Jonah, especially from this first chapter. So I want to read it, and then we're just going to go through section by section, and we're going to see some amazing things, I think, that God is going to reveal to us today about how we are often like Jonah, a picture of the nation of Israel. We can learn a lot from him, from the whale, from the sailors, from so much from even the storm that God brings down unto Jonah. Here it is, Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, So he went down to Joppa. He found a ship that was going to Tarsus. He paid the fare. He went down into it to go with them to Tarsus, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he had lain down, and he was fast asleep. So the captain came, and he said to him, "Uh, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So they all said to one another, the sailors, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? Was it? Or what's your occupation? and Where do you come from? What's your country? And of what people are you? And they're saying, Who are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. All the while he was sleeping. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was, now they knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea might quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode harder to get back to dry land because they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us his innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I'm going to add the first verse of chapter 2, because it says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord. I'll get to that later. An amazing story. Again, one I think we're all familiar with in some way or another. But what is it that God can teach us this morning about this story of Jonah? Now, there's so much more, only three more chapters, but... So much more that happens in the life of Jonah and what God does in and through him for Jonah himself and for his people Israel and for the Gentile Ninevites. But in the first three verses, it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah and He said, Arise and go to Nineveh. Right? Because their evil was enough and it had come up to God. He had taken notice. But what does Jonah do? He goes in the opposite direction. Now, he was called to go to Nineveh. It was about 500 miles by land to get from where he was to Nineveh. Would have taken him a while, maybe about a month to get there. So instead of going 500 miles to where God called him to go, he chose to go 2,500 miles in the opposite direction by ship to go all the way to a city called Tarshish kind of hard to say right Tarshish, and that was pretty much where we believe scholars believe it was in spain so he was going just about to the edge of the known world 2,500 miles right that would be like going from the jersey shore right to the coast of california I'm going to get away from god as far as i can go until i can't walk anymore So Jonah would rather get on a ship and risk his life to go 2,500 miles rather than go the 500 miles to Nineveh where God called him to go. He certainly is committed to being disobedient and rebellious, isn't he? I think we're all pretty good at that too. Sometimes we do a really good job and we work really hard to be disobedient to God, don't we? Jonah certainly was a hard worker. He didn't like what God had called him to do. Do we always like what God calls us to do? If we're truthful and we recognize God calling us maybe to speak to someone about our faith, to maybe help someone that has hurt us in the past, and we don't want to pray for or help our enemies, whatever it might be. Maybe God is calling you to do a grander thing. Go on a missions trip or... Do something that's way outside of your comfort zone. Sometimes we feel like Jonah, don't we? We'd rather go in the opposite direction, even though it might be harder. We'd rather do that than what God is calling us to do. But God has asked Jonah to actually do something incredible. He asked him to go to Nineveh. Now, in a way, we can't really blame Jonah, who at that time would want to go to a city like Nineveh, knowing what on earth they would do to anybody. That wasn't an Assyrian. right? They were known throughout the world at that time for being so merciless and violent and brutal. It's as if Jonah was saying, God, can't you just judge them without me? Why send me to judge them? Just judge them. Right? But Jonah also didn't want to go to Nineveh. Because he didn't want them to be saved. Jonah did not have the compassion that God had for the non-Jews. That We just prayed before that God would break our hearts for what breaks His. That God would give us eyes to see others as He sees them. Lost and helpless souls that are in need. Even those of our enemies. Those that persecute us. That bring us down. Those people. We all have people in our lives that we secretly would be like, they're, they're probably never going to get saved. Not even not going to bother with them. Right? Sometimes we do. We think those things. And he's thinking out of the Ninevites, God, why on earth would you want to have compassion on these? The most brutal and ruthless of all the people in our known world. Why on earth would you? And God is saying, why on earth wouldn't I? Because they are my people too. They are my creation. And you see, so God is calling Jonah to do something pretty amazing but of course whatever God calls us to do especially if it's outside our comfort zone God says I will provide we can also see in Jonah we can also see that in many ways he was a racist wasn't he he was a bigot because he thought himself and his people better than those Ninevites he was judge and jury on those people He believed they were not deserving of saving. Sometimes we need to check our hearts, don't we? And recognize that sometimes we can act or think in a racist or bigoted way. We've all been there. We're not immune to it just because we're followers of the Lord and we recognize that He is the God of all. We need to be reminded of that. So God is calling Jonah and basically doing it to say to His people, Israel, you have forgotten. My chosen people, that I chose you to be a blessing to all the nations, including the Gentiles. Jonah is running, not from God himself, but God's expectations. I mean, God is omnipresent, which means what? Everywhere. Always everywhere, right? Everywhere present. Can you run from a God who is everywhere present? Did Adam and Eve? They tried it, didn't they? And God pursued them and said, where are you? But we still do it, don't we? We try to run from God. Maybe God won't find me. Remember when you were a kid and you know you did something wrong and your parents found you and they called your name and you just went like this? Maybe if they don't see me, I can't see them. Maybe they don't see me, right? But Jonah was running from the expectations of God, running from his presence. You need to remember too, church, that we are called to live according to God's expectations and His standards, not ours. We don't get to decide. He does, right? We are to live according to God's divine expectations, not our human standards. To follow His will and not ours. Sometimes people decide to stop going to church. They stop hanging around with other Christians Yeah, they don't pray as much or get into God's Word. Why? Because they know at the end of that there's conviction. It's a reminder of what God expects from them. We all do that in some way or another as we run from God. You know, another important thing to remember is that it says, when he decided to run from God, it said he rose to flee to Tarshish, right? Right? He went down to Joppa, the port where he would find a ship. It said he paid the fare. He paid the fare. He wasn't a stowaway. He paid the money to get on the ship. He paid the price. Whenever we decide to be rebellious or disobedient to God, we will pay the price. There will be a cost. Jonah paid that price. He made a decision and a commitment to get on that ship to run from God. Whenever we try to do that, there is a price. See, if God sends us, then He'll pick up the tab, won't He? He'll provide the resources, the strength, the power that we need. When we try to do it on our own, we're going to pay the price. So we need to always remember, let God lead the way. If He calls us to go, He will provide the way. Remember at the end of our study of Acts? When God told Paul, look, you've been great here for me in Jerusalem. You must go to Rome. All this other stuff happened. Do you remember what happened? He was on a ship in a storm. Remember that? God, even though God sent the storm, He didn't say it would be easy. He said, you must go to Rome. And He was going to get him there. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. I'm bringing you to Nineveh you want to run you can try you can go all the way to tarshish as if god didn't know where that was we will certainly pay the price for running from god it could be physical could be mental emotional financial relational etc etc whatever it is we can all close our eyes and think of times when we've experienced that we recognize broken fellowship with our lord because we choose to be rebellious and follow our way and not His. We put it in context of the beautiful Gospel of Jesus Christ. On our own, we try to work our way into His good graces. To pay our way into heaven by our good works. But God's plan is that He would pay the way for our salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we need to accept that payment. So we move on. Verses 4 through 6. So the Lord hurled a great wind, right? Things happen quickly. The Lord hurls a great wind upon the sea. There's a mighty tempest skipping down. It says the, the, the sailors, the mariners were afraid, right? They hurled the cargo. They tried to hurl it overboard in desperation. Don't we also do that in times of desperation? What can we do? God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just get me out of this situation. Throwing the cargo overboard. You want me to get rid of this? Fine. I won't do this ever again. God, just save me. They were throwing things overboard, right? But God hurls a great wind, it says, in a great storm. Often in our rebellion, it will cause a storm, our circumstances. Now, God will relentlessly pursue you because you are His and He has called you. But sometimes He might do it in a very uncomfortable way. And so He brought a storm upon the sea. Right? He may bring a storm if we are working outside of His will. If we choose disobedience, we might often want to expect a storm. Now, another thing to notice, the sailors... On the ship, they were in trouble because of who? Because of Jonah. Does that also remind us that when we choose disobedience and rebellion, does it just affect us? No. It affects the people around us. You know, that is certainly one of the most sobering facts. Whether it comes to addiction or any kind of willful disobedience of any kind, that our actions affect the actions of of others why because in our selfishness we only see me now one of the saddest things we experience when we we go to help people like we're going to this week on the streets of new york so many times you hear their stories of brokenness and, what, and a common thread you hear is we often ask is their family you can go stay with no no they won't have me they've burned their bridges They've burned their bridges. And each one has their own unique story. But you often hear that. Why? Because all they would do and whatever it is that they were dealing with and suffering with and struggling with, it was all about them. We certainly know that full well, don't we? Jonah was also asleep during the storm. He was asleep. The one sailor went down, was this possible? He was. Here's the sinner, the one following other false gods, the idolater, telling Jonah, the man of God, how about you pray for us? Would that be a good idea right about now? Man of God, right? But we can sleep often through what God is doing around us, can't we? We can just have our eyes blinded to what He is doing in our life, not only what He's trying to do through us and for us, trying to get our attention, but also for those around us. Being out of God's will sometimes so long, continuing in rebellion and disobedience, He can make us callous to the hurting and the suffering around us. Can it not? Here's a great quote from Charles Spurgeon. Now, he was a great preacher in England in the 1800s. And listen to what he says. So true for us today. He says, Jonah was asleep amid all that confusion and noise. He says, "Oh, Christian." For you to be indifferent to all that is going on in a world such as this, for you to be negligent of God's work in such a time as this is just as strange. The devil alone is making noise enough to wake all of the Jonahs if they only want to awake. All around us there is tumult and storm, yet some professing Christians are able like Jonah to go to sleep in the sides of the ship. Let us never get to that point where we are just callous to the needs, the things around us. He said that over a hundred years ago. Is that not just the world we live in too? How much is going on around us? Sometimes you want to just not even watch the news, right? It can be so disheartening and disturbing. Pressing, but yet to understand the need around us especially and most importantly we know the need for people to be introduced to the lord jesus so we skipped out i'm going to skip part of it we know the story we read it the men were afraid they were trying to row to get to sea. they called them up what have you done to us verses 11 to 13 they said so what should we do and he says okay pick me up Hurl me into the sea. So Jonah finally got to that point. He told them, yes, this is about me. God is causing this storm. Throw me overboard. I guarantee you the sea will be quiet. Because it is about me. Now, the men didn't want to do that. They didn't want innocent blood on their hands. So what did they do? They kept trying to row. Now look at this. So important. Let's look a little bit deeper. Jonah was offering himself as a sacrifice... For these sinners, but yet they chose to still try to find safety on their own. Isn't that amazing? Did you know that the Lord Jesus talks about Jonah? Of the four Old Testament prophets, Jonah is one of them that Jesus talked about. He says in Matthew 12, he says, just listen then. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. They did that a lot, right? He answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then listen to what Jesus says about Jonah. He knew the story was true. He's quoting it right here. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man. Be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented, the Gentiles repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Isn't that awesome? That's in Matthew 12. That he talks about that. Because we know at the end of this story what happens? That God appoints a great fish... Because the men finally hurl him overboard as a sacrifice. The sea calms down and it says that the Lord, in verse 17, appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Didn't Jonah think that he was going to die? He said, okay. Sacrifice me. He expected to die. But what did God do? By God appointing, it doesn't say He created a great fish. There was a great fish there. It was a whale or a huge shark. We don't know. But God appointed a great fish. It's like God said to this great fish, maybe a whale, and said, I got this guy kind of drowning over here. I need you to kind of swim over there and gobble him up. And the whale's like, yeah, you got it. The whale obeyed Jesus. The great fish obeyed God of heaven and earth. The God of all the universe, the whale did, Jonah didn't. God is certainly the God of all nature, isn't He? God is sovereign and controls even nature to serve His purposes. And then it says, Jonah prayed to the Lord, His God, from the belly of the fish. That's the beginning of chapter 2. That's what we'll pick up next week. But it's so interesting because it says, Then. Then Jonah prayed. He didn't pray when he was running from God. He didn't pray during the storm. It took God to send the great fish to bring him to a place where he had nowhere else to run. Where he was enclosed and he had no other escape. Everything around him was closing in. Don't we often get to that point where we're so desperate and we recognize we cannot run anymore. God, have mercy on me. Also recognize this, that God was not done with Jonah yet. Jonah thought he was going to die. Throw me overboard, I will drown. God said that he was calling Jonah to go to Nineveh. We cannot thwart God's will. So even in our rebellion and disobedience, God can still do his work. And also remember, he's not done with us yet. We might think, okay, this is it. I'm done serving God. I've done my time. This and that. I'm retired. I'm doing, you know, whatever. We think that we're done. But God says, I'm not done with you yet. Until you draw your last breath, until I call you home or I return for you, I am not done with you yet. We can run. We can try to hide from an omnipresent God. But He is not done with us yet. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word. How awesome it is to learn so much about ourselves from a man, Jonah. God, we recognize we can run. Sometimes, God, we don't like what it is you call us to do. We read in your word your expectations for us, and we say, and we look at it, we say, that's impossible. I cannot do it. But, yes, Father, That's exactly what we should say because we cannot do it on our own. Lord, we can picture those sailors just rowing as hard as they can to save themselves. But God, we know that we are totally incapable of saving ourselves. You and you alone offer the plan of salvation. And that is through that one sacrifice your son our Savior Jesus help us to always remember that God would you also remind us that we are all called to be missionaries as you bless us we are to bless others God we don't want to run from that calling either and God we know we grow the most in our trust in you when we choose to step out of our comfort zone God be merciful be gracious towards us But God, would you continue to call us where you want us to go? You say to Jonah, arise and go. You have given us a charge to keep. We want to keep on doing that. Lord, we need your strength, your guidance. We need your vision and your eyes for your people. No matter who they may be, what they may have done to us, no matter what they look like, god that we would show mercy as you have shown us mercy that we would be gracious to others as you have been gracious to us lord that we would forgive others as you have forgiven us thank you for forgiveness that we only have in jesus